This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to season four of the Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first three seasons, there's plenty of content for you if you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or if you're training to be a lawyer. You'll also meet some amazing local charities and learn about the work they do. You can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, we welcome Andy Neal from West Mercia Search and Rescue. The charity's role is to search for and rescue missing vulnerable people across 6,500 square miles throughout Shropshire, Herefordshire and Worcestershire. He talks about the importance of the volunteers supporting each other's mental health, the preventative measures in place in order to try and keep people out of the water and the charity's need for a equipment and financial support. Hi, I'm Louise um, and I'm very pleased to have with us Andy Neal from the West Mercia Search and Rescue Charity. Andy, if you could give us an example scenario of, of what the charity does and and when you would likely to be called out. Thanks, uh, Louise, and thanks for, for talking to us to find out more about what we do. Let me just try and uh, create a bit of a picture of a, oh, I'd say what a typical call-out, but of a call-out, uh, because they all, they're all different. So imagine it's um, four o'clock in the morning, you're lying in bed, <laughs> the phone goes, it's the police. There will be about uh, seven of us who have uh, a duty phone. That phone goes off. What The first thing that happens is that the person that receives the phone call agrees with the police that, uh, yes, we should be trying to turn out. We then have to see whether or not we can do. So the first thing we do is we appoint a, a planner and there's a, then a quick exchange by WhatsApp for the, the first immediate details of the person that's gone missing, where the search might be, that kind of thing. We were able a couple of years ago to invest in a, an internet-based planning system that is used by a number of search and rescue teams. And that enables us to remotely plan in the initial stages. And so that planner will start entering data, the missing person, their age, any other details about them, what kind of uh, problems they've had, um, how they might be defined in terms of, you know, perhaps they're autistic, perhaps they're despondent, are they a suicide risk, all the details that will that will eventually help us. So all of that kind of background work is done and then a call out is put out to the team and that comes out by SMS, by telephone, by WhatsApp so that we hope people will get that. An RV or a rendezvous point has been decided and that's usually reasonably close to the person who was last seen or last known to be, shall we say. So whilst all the assets and the resources are being gathered and the people are being identified who can turn out for the team and those people are trying to find a way by their own car or by sharing transport but they're going to descend on the rendezvous point. Uh, whilst that's happening, the planner is busy working out what the initial plans are that need to be followed. So for instance, one of the statistics we use will say that uh, for instance, 47% of people of this type are found within 400 metres of the place last seen. Okay. So that we know then that that's going to be a priority. Whoever gets to the scene first will be tasked with beginning to search that area, but we will have been able to send maps to their telephone showing them the area that we, we want them to search. So that happens. It begins to go. The people begin to gather 
and the vehicles will then arrive. So our ICU, which is our incident command unit, which is a big transit, which has got computers and big television screens in it, that will arrive and that will become the base for the search. We're lucky in this area with the trust that the police give us is that very often we, apart from the being a police search advisor in charge of that search, we're often asked to take it on basically and to run the search for them with their guidance. They'll say where they want to look perhaps and they'll keep feeding information into the system but we will run the, the details of the search. The search area then is expanded if we haven't found within that first area. Search system will also begin to tell us it's based on a book that was written and researched that's called Lost Person Behaviour. So it will begin to throw up through the computer program the most likely places where people might be found. So, for instance, autistic children are often attracted by light reflecting off water. So one of the first places you would look if you had a missing person of that category would be you'd find the water on the map and go and look at those areas first of all. People with dementia will often follow straight lines and so you'd look for features on the map that are straight lines, fences, roads, etc. And you'd use those to create your first plan. So it's really quite scientific in terms of detail. So then we divide up into areas where teams will be allocated, people will go out. If there's been no find, they'll come back and then they'll be reallocated to other teams. And it will carry on like that until either we find something or the police say they've just walked in at home so there's no need to carry on or we decide, well, actually, we're not going to achieve anything. It's now dark. We can't see very well. We'll come back in the morning. So presumably that could go on for a couple of days or do you go out every couple of days and search or is it just until that person's found? Absolutely. I know as an example here in Shrewsbury, we were heavily involved and this is all in the public domain so I can talk about it in the search for Nathan Fleetwood. Uh, whose body was eventually found in the river by our kayak team. That was nine days after we had started looking for him and we'd had people out. Well, in fact, it was more than nine days. It was after nine days of searching that we found him. Yes. And we'd had people out on land, in the water, with sonar, boats, kayaks, uh, all that time. The relief for his family must have been huge. You know, it must be nice to know that you're a part of being able to bring them back for them they were as you say very grateful relief we got lots of messages from them a lot of support from them which was absolutely fantastic Um, and they've also been supporting a number of issues uh, a number of initiatives about developing precautionary measures in Shrewsbury um, for water safety yes and so what kind of preventative measures are you hoping to, to be able to put in place or to support in the in the area or the local area? Clearly, it would be much better if people didn't end up in the river. For a number of years now, we've been engaged in running river patrols on particularly party nights in Shrewsbury, where we have a number of people turn out with the street pastors, with the local police, the police community support officers and indeed some of the local councillors, but trying to get out and round to the pubs to advertise the dangers of the river and just being there, having being a visible presence 
And on a couple of occasions, we've actually had to been called to, to, to people who've gone in the river whilst, you know, that's been going on. And that's usually on Christmas, Easter, a big party nights, Saturday nights particularly, down by the river. So that led us to also get engaged with um, another high-profile case that we were involved with was another young man, Shane Walsh, who died in the river. His wife has become a staunch supporter of our rescue team. Um, we helped with his recovery. And Kirsty now is an ambassador for the team and talks on water safety. And she's done a huge amount in Shrewsbury in terms of trying to get the council to change the way they look at the safety around the river. For instance, there were some low hedges that looked pretty. It's thought that possibly Shane tripped over one of these low hedges after he'd had too much to drink and fell into the river. And so Kirsty has led a campaign to have those removed and some better fencing put in, some better barriers put in that would actually stop people going into the water. And it's things like that that that, that can be done, can be achieved. And then alongside that, we've created a, a home and dry campaign, which is an online campaign where people go online and complete a water safety quiz and get a certificate at the end of it okay. when, they, when they finish it. And is that on the West Mercia Search and Rescue website? again on our, on our website. And if you click on that and have a look, when I went on the other day, it said that 22,500 people had, had completed wow. that successfully. So it is popular. Yeah. I know it's being used in schools a lot. It's being used by individuals. And one or two companies are using it getting their people to to do it and we've just been trying to work with one company who would like to do it every year and at the moment it restricts you to doing it once Um, so we're we're looking at how people can do it as a as a a revision as a reminder every every year definitely because imagine once that's in your in your head you know i'm from hereford so Mm. i the river wise very prominent in, in hereford having that in your in your mind especially on a night out it must be incredibly valuable yes. to, to know absolutely you've reminded me that one of the, th- the things we're trying to do to develop the team we we have a, a strong presence in Shropshire and we are well known but we're much less well known in Worcestershire and Herefordshire and so one of our aims with our fundraising is to, to hopefully raise funds to develop our presence in those areas which would involve things like being able perhaps to do river patrols in Hereford, perhaps um, having another unit where some equipment is kept down south so we could respond more quickly to incidents in in those areas. We do have a smaller unit in Kidderminster but that's obviously only halfway towards Hereford. (laughs) Um, So ideally we would have one in Hereford as well but obviously that costs in terms of rental, uh, equipment and so on. If we were able to do that we would be in a position to grow the team down there uh, recruit more people specifically for uh, from that area because as you can imagine from our earlier conversations one of the issues if I get a call out and I live in near Ironbridge if I get a call out south of Hereford it takes an age to get there yes of um, course. even if I'm available and so to have people on site who you know are, are much closer would, would help us a great deal so that's one aspect of the um, prevention is better than cure stuff that we're that we're doing another thing we're doing is looking at um, mental health it's true that many of the people that we get called out to try and find have got some kind of mental health issue and 
that is what has caused them to get lost or perhaps to try to take their own life. So with, uh, uh, and again, another thing we've done uh, is to join the Shrewsbury Chamber of Commerce to develop our relationships with organisations. Through that fantastic connection, we've met a guy called Marcus Matthews, who is a hypnotherapist, he's a life coach, and he's a public speaker. And he is passionate about mental health because he himself suffered uh, from that. He was in the police, he was in the British Army and had a post-traumatic stress issues and recovered from them. So he is promoting an event uh, on our behalf in April in uh, the Telford area and he's going to speak at it and we're we're encouraging organisations to come because one of the things we want to do is to give managers and to give people in in organisations some skills to actually be able to recognise when people might be beginning to suffer issues that may cause them problems. And so Marcus is going to talk about it, give people some, some practical things they can do to examine their own mental health, but also to perhaps identify uh, when people are beginning to to, to, to suffer is, uh, issues that, that, that may become a problem for them. So that's, I think, on the 28th of April. It's called Putting People First. I think it's at Hadley Park, near Telford, and we're just beginning to promote that now to try and get uh, people there to hear what he has to say. So on average, how many call-outs a year do you attend to and how big of the area do you cover? It's difficult to answer it precisely because, uh, you know, there isn't a regular call out once a week. No. Uh, but um, a couple of statistics for you. I know that during COVID, which is obviously longer than a year, we had 71 call outs. We were kept uh, operational across COVID. We were allowed to be operational. We uh, didn't have to follow the, uh, the strict COVID restriction rules in order to maintain the service. And in fact, I've just received uh, some of the statistics from the last full year, uh, 2022, and we had some 50 call-outs during that year, which, uh, if it isn't uh, too boring uh, to give numbers to you, um, we had over 3,000 incident hours. So that's number of people times incidents to give us the the incident hours across those 50 call-outs. In the, the same year, just as a balance to show you how much work has to go into preparing people to work uh, on behalf of the rescue team. We logged 5,000 training hours. As I've been saying, we have to find our own um, financing. Uh, We logged 4,000 fundraising hours in that time as well. So in fact, the training and the fundraising uh, come in at about 9,000 hours against actually the 3,000 hours spent live on incident. So it, I think that shows you the balance, the amount of work that has to go into the organisation to keep us going. We've got something like 56 members who are operational. And I think at the last count, there were 16 non-operational members of the team. And those non-operational members uh, include uh, people who uh, deal with our logistics. We have a a team of drivers. I know when I joined the team, which is now six years ago, as a team member, I would have to perhaps go along to the unit, pick up a vehicle, drive to a rescue, get involved in a rescue, drive the vehicle back and clean it up. Now we've got a team of people that help us to do that and that greatly takes some of the pressure off off the operational team members. Yeah, I can understand you're searching for hours and then the thought of having to drive around as well. It must it must be a massive advantage to have that Absolutely. that non-operational unit Absolutely. to help you to do that. Yes. 
Yeah, I, because the area we cover is, is, is large. You did ask me that earlier. Um, it's the whole of Shropshire, but then it also includes the whole of Worcestershire and the whole of Herefordshire as well. I think I've seen a, a number somewhere at 6,500 square miles. Gosh. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it is a massive area. Yeah. And obviously, it's an area that isn't served too well by motorways. No. So actually, in order to get to call-outs, we have often quite complicated routes to follow. And if you have the situation whereby there's one um, search in one area and then you get um, called out for another area, how do you kind of put people in different areas? How, how does that work? Is it just a some to go to one area another go to the other area and you just make it work or yes indeed Uh, we are called out by the police in the first instance and so one of the first things that we have to do is to see who can turn out to help at a particular incident so that's partly dependent on what skills are needed because for instance it could be um, a water only uh, incident so as an example of that last weekend one team got called out to go and help the Warwickshire Lowland Rescue Team uh, over in Rugby but that was a purely water call out and it only needed um, I can't remember how many exactly but sort of it was about four people at the most one boat and they specifically needed our sonar equipment to help to search a, a flooded quarry but at the same time, we were able to respond to an incident in the north of Shropshire, which was a land-based incident where a despondent uh, person had gone missing uh, and the police were very anxious to try and find them uh, as soon as possible. Uh, so we were able to do those, those two call-outs because they called on different skills. But having, for example, had the sonar deployed over in rugby, we couldn't then have put another sonar team out uh, over in Shropshire as well. So the decisions have to be made by the planner uh, exactly how we how we deploy. And sometimes that will depend on the urgency because clearly uh, the assisted uh, call we were doing in rugby the police were looking for someone they expected to be deceased. So the urgency there was much, much less than the call out in Shropshire where uh, the person that was missing, uh, it was hoped that they could be found quickly and therefore found alive. You touch on the fact that people have jobs and families. You know, How do you manage the work that you do with the search team and then also you know your private life in terms of work and family is we have to work alongside it some people struggle with it um we find there are some people whose application to the team swings backwards and forwards as family commitments enable it to happen but they can still contribute to the team we find some people whose work is very restrictive and they can only come out in evenings and weekends we equally find some people whose employers are very very open recognize what's being done and will allow people to take the time out as long as it's nothing important happening without them taking their own holiday up and then you get also in the team the people like me I'm, I'm retired which means that I can find more time in the day to do things like this um, great you know to to, to to help the team in a, in a different kind of way so it's very varied is there a particular positive you know a draw to the charity which makes you want to stay and to continue to, to do that work or are the, are the negative parts of it as well it's in terms of you and uh, yeah others I think one of the things we make very clear to people when they join the team is that a it isn't all blue light chasing and exciting mm-hmm. and b uh, the nature of the work we do in this county uh, or these counties particularly for the police is that we're often asked to look for somebody who probably won't be alive 
when we find them. And so if that really troubles somebody, then they should perhaps think again about about joining the team. We're pretty flexible about how we deal with an incident when we find it. And if people really don't want to be involved in, in that end of the search, they might stay in the logistics area. They may have contributed hugely to the planning and organisation of what's gone on. And those that actually feel able to deal with with those issues would would, would deal with those issues. So obviously, and med- mental health's a big thing now. And you know, you've touched on the fact that sometimes you do searches which don't always end happily. Yes. You know, they've the the person's sadly passed away. How does the team and the charity support your members in order for them to to deal with those that kind of Absolutely. situation? Yeah, um, there's a, a number of levels of that. I suppose at its most basic level, we're doing much more recently in terms of just building. Uh, the spirit within the team so people are much more engaged with each other they don't just turn up for call outs but actually know each other a bit better so there's support there that's great so it's nice to know that you've got a friendly face absolutely absolutely and when I joined the team it was it was kind of very business-like you'd turn up for a call out call out was finished and off you'd go yes (laughs) now in each of our areas there's things beginning to happen that, that build much more of a social life so that that's important because that then means you've got somebody you can turn to if you need to, to share your your worries or your feelings or whatever. And then uh, at the sharp end, uh, let's say we have an incident where there's something disturbing, perhaps a body's recovered. Um, there's an immediate reaction where it's the team leader's responsibility. So, so we, we'll be in different search teams. Each has a team leader. That team leader's responsibility, one of those responsibilities is to do a quick mental health check, make sure everybody's okay. That team will also be funded if they wish to go and have a McDonald's or, oops, perhaps I shouldn't use a brand name, <laughs> go and have a burger or something afterwards and just talk and just, just let off steam, which is an important thing to do. And then we have a number of ways that people then are follow up. So then the team leader and the, the search leader will follow up afterwards to find out how somebody's feeling, whether everything's okay. Then we have a number of processes. So we have a... We have, uh, uh, I think it's two or three independent people, one who is a chaplain, uh, one who's a psychologist, who people can go and talk to if they wish. And within the team, there are, and I can't remember the number, but there's a number of us who've taken a mental health first aid qualification as well. So you know what to look out for. You know how to support somebody who, who's going through a difficult time. Such a, you know, such a big thing now. It's Absolutely. nice to know that that you've got things in place to, to help to help your members, yes. which is which yes. is great. Lanyon Bowd have chosen um, to support West Mercy Search and Rescue this year. We just want to kind of understand how much the charity relies on that support and, and what it is that we could do to, to help you going forward. Yes, it would be great to have some conversations because there's a lot we do. There's a lot which probably isn't appropriate, but there must be ways that we can be creative about also how we can support you as an organisation and obviously we'll be looking for, uh, for and you already are giving us support you're raising money for us you're doing things like this there must be ways that we can we can work together in order to help the charity to help the search team but also to um, to support uh, you you as a company so Andy if people can't volunteer and, um, and give up the time how how can they support support the charity going forward we are entirely voluntary we have to raise by one means or another all the funds to to remain operational 
Uh, we do get fantastic support from the Police and Crime Commissioner. We work very closely with the police and they give us a um, big grant each year to actually help to, to, to pay for um, some of our operation. Uh, but apart from that, we need to, to find the funds. So COVID hit us really badly because uh, we used to do loads of collections in supermarkets and public events, that kind of thing. We weren't able to do that. Effectively, we were going backwards over, over the period of COVID. Remaining operational and not able to, to, to raise the funds to stay operational. So we've been doing some a careful look at how much money we need to raise to, 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 to stay in business effectively. And if you include the, the fleet of vehicles that we have and all of the equipment and assets that we've got, and if you give those a five-year life, we have to raise £90,000 a year to stay operational. If you take the PCC grant off that, which is we're not guaranteed to get every year, but if you do take that off, you're left with £70,000. So it's, uh, you know, it's a reasonable amount of money that's got to be found. So that's about five to £6,000 per month. And the actual operational cost, uh, so fuel, maintenance, and all that kind of stuff, is about £4,000 a month uh, to stay operational. So I'm looking for sponsors, supporters who might want to pay for a whole year, uh, who might want to perhaps give us a month's worth of overheads. It could become the so-and-so company month, you know, I don't know. But equally, we have a number of very expensive assets and um, we're looking for support with those. Um, I have been able to um, achieve some grant funding from organisations like the National Lottery Fund and some other more local grant f- trust funds that are uh, around in the area, uh, some of whom don't want any recognition at all, but some of whom you know, would do, do want to be recognised. Um, we've just had to buy a new vehicle and um, a local car dealership has helped us to get that vehicle, managed a discount with us, and we're going to get um, national uh, PR through that company as well once the vehicle is is, is delivered uh, to us and finished. So there are a number of ways people can sponsor vehicles. One of the things, and I don't have the details on this yet, but our kayak team lead has recently just spoken to me and said, one of the kayaks is broken and the others are old. We need some new ones. <laughs> One of the things I will be doing is looking at um, raising the funds for those kayaks. And uh, uh, that they're not hugely expensive. So it could be that £750 buys a kayak and it has a business name on it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is a sponsored tool for, for, for the team. And that's the, the, the kind of thing that, that, that we can do. And so apart from that, we're running lots of events, festivals, and certainly one thing that uh, an organisation that wants to support us could do would be to help with, with fundraising collections. Perhaps we could be creative about how we do that. We have a number of individuals who are doing things for us. Uh, for instance, uh, a man and his wife, uh, it hasn't been published yet, but a man and his wife uh, are going to swim the three highest lakes in the UK and cycle between them <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on our behalf. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, wow. And to raise funds for us. Uh, that will, by April, we should be able to announce that fully. But, uh, you know, it, it's things like that. People have an idea, see the charity and think, I'd like to do something, and we can then work together on, on how we actually do something uh, for that. Um, and we, then we do all the other usual stuff. We have collection tins out. Um, we do supermarket collections. We go to fates and carnivals, you know, that, that kind of thing, just trying to build the publicity. We take at least one intake a year. 
It's quite a protracted program. I talked to you about the, the 56, I think it is, operational members that we've got. And that operational qualification comes after about six months of training. It can be shorter, it can be longer, um, because there's a number of effectively modules that uh, people need to complete in that program. And then the other thing to take into account is that as people begin to realise the commitment that's needed, we might start with 25 people who in an intake, they then start to drop off and we would hope to end up with at least 10 active members out of that kind of intake. But it's much more important that we have people who understand what it takes and will stay with the team than people who say they will join, finish the training, but then actually never turn out for, for anything. And, and how do people get involved if they want to get involved with West Mercy Search and Rescue? Is there a, like an application form? Is there... How, how does it work in practice? Uh, what we do is um, we ask people to go to our website. On the website, they'll find that they can click through uh, and they can leave uh, a message that they're interested in joining. And then as we start a new intake, we will actually uh, contact them. So do you get quite a big intake on your website for people applying or is it just something that you just keep pushing out throughout the year? We have a a process um, whereby, uh, you know, we might get 60 applications. We sift them. Some immediately will decide are not uh, appropriate, possibly age, uh, possibly that uh, just their background doesn't doesn't fit and then we will go through a process of meeting people and then inviting them along to a meeting where they will find out the kind of commitment that's required uh, for, to be part of the team uh, I mean there's a lot of people who are really keen to get involved then find that actually family commitments or work commitments will stop them doing so and therefore unfortunately they can't we also get some people who think it's going to be, be a really exciting life like you see what is it called saving lives at sea yes <laughs> the, uh, you know you, the, the maroons go up and you come running down and jump into the boats and off you go it isn't like that because of the nature of the work we we're asked to do by the police um, the police will often do the first part of a, a search we won't get called out for a, quite a while and therefore our our approach is much slower much more uh, measured in order to actually search an area really thoroughly and, and hopefully find somebody. And then we also get um, the people who uh, really fancy jumping into a vehicle, putting the blue lights on and, <laughs> and, and driving around, you know, yeah. with the sirens going. So we try and weed those people out into people that are serious about wanting to help others yeah. and have reasonably the right kind of background. But there is no set kind of person for the team at I had personally, I had a a background in in outdoor pursuits and was interested in using those skills. But uh, equally, we get people who've never had much experience, but are reasonably fit. Uh, We have a basic fitness qualification that you have to be able to go uh, move for five miles in two hours carrying a rucksack of equipment, you know, of your personal equipment. But other than that, there are many roles within the team. And so we just try and look for people that that are appropriate and also who are prepared to commit to to helping with the fundraising in the team because that's important uh, to, to keep us on the road. Thanks to Andy Neal for sharing information as to the valuable work West Mercia Search and Rescue does in our local communities. If you have a legal issue you'd like me to put to the team to cover in an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases. Speak to you soon. Thank you.
That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.